Hey guys, thanks for joining us online today. Uh, whether you've always been a part of North Point or you just happen to stumble upon us today, we are thrilled that you are joining us to worship right here online. Uh, today, we are going to continue on with our Woke series, which is all about finding Jesus in the fog or in places that maybe we didn't expect to see him before. So here soon, I'm going to toss it over to Rick, who's going to continue in with our series, and then we're going to end together with a worship song. Uh, one of the things that we're asking you to do today is to simply connect with us. If you have the North Point app, you can click where it says connect here to find out an app together or a little form to fill out. Uh, or if you don't have the North Point app, the easiest way is to simply text GUESTNCC to 94090. We'll simply send you a text message back that you can click on the link and find that same form to fill out. Uh, one of the other things that we want to do uh, as well is to worship together through our giving. We know and trust that God is the one who provides for us. And so uh, by giving, we get to, to worship God in one other way, to say thank you, uh, knowing that he's the one who provides for us, no matter how hard we work or whatever it may be. Ultimately, it belongs to God and he's the one that's there for us. And so one of the ways that you can do that is to simply text NCC Give to 77977. We'll toss you back a link there uh, where you can set up a recurring gift or a one-time gift. But man, we would encourage you uh, to give worshipfully, to give thankfully and sacrificially, knowing that God is the one who provides for us. Thanks so much for joining in with us today. Let there be light. And there was light. Good morning! Hey, so good to see you. I want to just do something really fun to start today. We have a old friend back home again, down front, Tim Shantair. Would you just stand up and wave? If you are new to North Point, Tim is one of our missionaries. He and his wife, Courtney, and their boys serve in Papua New Guinea, the Yembe Yembe tribe, and God has been using them for a whole bunch of years there. And they've been connected to North Point for a whole bunch of years, and it's really cool. They're here until December in our area here in the U.S. until June, uh, getting the boys kind of acclimated for their transition back into American culture as they become adults. And so uh, that's a cool thing. Be praying for them. Uh, Tim's going to be speaking for us one of the Sundays in November. We're jazzed about that, and we'll have a chance to talk more later. Uh, so you can look for Tim, talk to him after the service, talk to Courtney uh as well, when I think they're all going to be here next week, right? They will now. <laughs> Whenever it is. All right. Um, hey, we're, we, uh, we have been talking about how God is working in our lives. We've, uh, we've said the last number of weeks, we've talked about the mission of North Point is to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. All people move towards life fully devoted to Jesus. And our vision, the vision that we've embraced, is that everybody who calls North Point home would regularly be sharing what God is, what Jesus is doing in their life, in their sphere of influence. And so, uh, just trying to give you some, some examples, some awareness of that. And, uh, want to do that again today. I've got two friends coming up. Come on up. Two friends. Yeah. The, the, my wife and my uh, coworker, whatever. Um, many of you probably, have never really seen Deb on stage with me. This is my wife, Deb. Not, yeah, come on up, come to the front. Woo, woo, woo. Isn't she wonderful? Um, and this is Hope Sharp, who is our director of children's ministry uh, here at North Point. And something cool happened last week, and I just asked them to kind of tell about it. 
Okay, actually, this story starts in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, if you remember, um, the, the staff sent out an email that said, is there, if there's any way we can pray for you, um, let us know. And usually I'm like, yeah. but I thought, you know what? I really need some encouragement. And so I wrote that. And I wasn't expecting what happened next, which was I got a Marco Polo from Hope. What's a Marco Polo? A video. A video that you It's see. an app. If you're technically challenged, it's a way that somebody leaves a message. You see it in video. You can watch it later. That's why it's Marco. Polo. Got it. They, uh, yeah. Good. Let's go swimming. Okay. Uh. So, so she sent me a Marco Polo. And she said that she was praying for me for encouragement. And I, you know, that really got me. So I waited a little while. And then I sent her one back. Well, we've become Marco Polo friends. And we really didn't know each other before that. So it's been a really neat friendship. And we didn't even see each other in person until, well, yeah, it was August. Even when the church started back up, we didn't see each other. So anyway, we actually have become very good friends because of it. So so what happened on Sunday? So what happened on Sunday? <laughs> I was sitting on the couch, and he was painting. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? He was painting a wall for me. And I was playing a game, and all of a sudden I thought, I'm going to send hope in encouraging Marco Polo. So I hop up and go to my phone. <laughs> okay. So meanwhile, um, last week I had really been struggling with just doubt and the lie of I'm not good enough. And so I very simply was like, Lord, I really need some reassurance, and I wish I had encouragement. And so wait, that was your prayer? Yes. That was my that little wanted, mini prayer in my head, yes. That you wanted encouragement. That I just needed some encouragement, um, some reassurance. And then a couple hours later, I had a Marco Polo from Deb that was full of encouragement and exactly what I needed to hear. Exactly. So. <laughs> Thanks. That's good. I, I wanted to share that. Not to not to um, heap praise on Deb or Hope, but to just remind you that when we talk about Jesus working in your life, lots of times we think it's this big, miraculous, lightning bolt kind of experience. More often than not, it's a simple prompting to say, "Hey, send a word of encouragement. Send a you know, get on Marco Polo, whatever." Um, the the cool thing about that story to me is that Deb sending that Marco Polo to hope was Jesus working in her life and hope receiving that Marco Polo was Jesus working in, in her life and saying, you are good enough. Don't be discouraged. I got this under control. So when we talk about everybody who calls North Point home regularly talk about how Jesus is working in their life, in their sphere of influence, it's just simply telling a story like that. Uh, recognizing what God is doing, what he's calling you to, and, and being obedient to that. That's what it's all about. Um, it's been a few weeks since we really talked about the whole hashtag woke uh, idea for this sermon series. And I just want to take a second today and, and to just reinforce, hashtag woke is a phrase that's been used the last several years in our culture to describe becoming aware of all kinds of things in society, to becoming aware of injustice, to becoming aware of racial prejudice, becoming aware of blind spots that you have in your own life. 
And we thought when we began to talk about recognizing that Jesus is working in our life, that's what we want to become aware of. And that's why we chose that hashtag woke um, uh, uh, title for this series. So we've been talking about finding Jesus in the fog, finding Jesus in places that we can't see him as quickly, maybe as we, as we might. So we talked four weeks ago about finding Jesus in the silence and then finding Jesus in the parties, finding Jesus in the routine. And last week, finding Jesus in the storm. Today is finding Jesus in the storm, uh, really kind of part two. But this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today and this idea of searching for Jesus in the storm is different than last week. And it's different maybe even than the first four weeks. Because in this instance, the disciples didn't have to go searching for Jesus. Jesus was right there beside them. Um, they, all they had to do was recognize that he was there. Let me, let me set the stage again for this passage of scripture that we're going to take a, a look at. The event takes place in the Sea of Galilee. I talked a little bit about the Sea of Galilee last week. I want to just kind of paint the picture a little bit more for you. Um, if you were here last week, you saw the picture of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is about 12 miles long from north to south. It's about seven miles wide from east to west. On the west side of the Sea of Galilee and to the north, um, if you were there looking at the picture or you, you were looking at the lake, there are mountains, hills that go up to about 1,000 or 1,500 feet on the west and on the north. On the east and on the north, on the east is the Golan Heights, and they raise about 3,500 feet above the Sea of Galilee. Um, that goes from the east into the northeast. So on the northern uh, half of, of the Sea of Galilee, there are all these mountains, and the, and the lake is 682 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, which is kind of interesting to me. Uh, if you were to talk to, to an Israelite today, somebody who lives over there, they call the, the lake Kinneret. Uh, it's the Hebrew word for violin because the Sea of Galilee is shaped like a violin. The, the portion that we see, the north end of the lake, typically is the body of the violin, and the neck is the Jordan River that extends out. The water that fills the Sea of Galilee comes from Mount Hermon, which has an elevation of 9,200 feet. So you've got um, water that comes in streams down Mount Hermon into the Jordan River and feeds into the Sea of Galilee. Pure snow as it melts coming down into the Sea of Galilee. At the same time, there are, um, there are springs, hot springs that empty, that, that open up into the Sea of Galilee because that land, particularly on the northern side, is tectonic plates that move. And so there's, there are hot springs in the city of Tiberias on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. And there's movement that comes from that, that, that allows this water that's superheated underneath the surface into the Sea of Galilee. All of that creates water that's fresh and pristine, incredible. It, it actually provides the fresh water for a, somewhere between a third and a half of the population of Israel um, today. Uh, incredible lake. The water, because of the hot water, because of the water that comes from Mount Hermon that comes down, it really breaks into three different strata in, in the lake itself. And those strata allow algae to grow, particularly from the hot springs that come, that, that create incredible amounts of fish life in the lake. In 1896, a fishing boat went out and brought back in their boat 9,200 pounds of fish on one trip. 
Does that give you a sense of, of what this lake is all about? All kinds of incredible stuff that's there. Um, the, uh, the, if you could picture the lake, it's almost like the lake is the bottom of a bowl because you've got the mountains to the, to the west and the north, mountains to the east that are even higher and to the north, and, and the, the water is down in the bottom. And these mountains kind of slope down to where the Jordan River uh, uh, pours into the Sea of Galilee. Um, that bowl-like structure creates incredibly turbulent storms on the Sea of, the, of, on the sea of Galilee. It's, the storms are different than like the storms that we have that just simply come in from the west. You know, they, they kind of blow in, that kind of thing. In the Sea of Galilee, because of, because of the geographical structure, when the storm happens, it superheats and it, and it, uh, it builds this turbulence. They occur very suddenly and with uh, a tremendous amount of power. Mark 4 tells us, that's where we're going to go if you want to open up the app to the, to the notes there, if you want to open your Bibles to Mark 4. Um, Mark 4 tells us that Jesus was teaching the crowds uh, on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And there were such large crowds, there were such large crowds that Jesus had to get out so that he could speak to all of them. So Jesus goes into a boat, he sets out in a boat, sets out a little away from the shore so that people could sit on the shore and it creates almost an amphitheater uh, type of, of a scenario, whereas Jesus spoke, the, his words would reflect off the water, and people would be able to hear him even more and more clearly. Um, do you have Do you have the picture in your mind? Let me let me just add one last piece. In uh, in uh, 1986, I think it was, um, there was a drought in Israel. And as the water receded from the Sea of Galilee, uh, they began to see something that was buried in the mud there. And when they uncovered what was buried in the mud, they realized it was something incredibly special. It was a fishing boat from the first century. Take a look at, at that. Um, they were able to, to preserve through, through all kinds of science, scientific stuff. But there on the left... That's a, that's the hull of a, of a fishing boat from the first century. That's what Jesus and the disciples would have been in. That particular boat is 27 feet long, seven and a half feet wide, about four feet deep. Easily enough for 15 or 20 people to ride in. The, the boat that's on the right is, is a, a recreation of, of what that boat would have looked like, um, when, when they sailed in it. Have the, do you have the picture in the, this, this incredibly turbulent um, sea, Jesus' disciples in boat. This is Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. That day, the day that Jesus was teaching about parables to all the people, um, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. They took Jesus along just as he was. Uh, Pause just for a second. I think that's such an interesting phrase. They took Jesus just as he was. What's that mean? I think it means that he was dirty and hot, sweaty and tired, had been teaching all day. He was exhausted. Jesus didn't go in the lake and take a bath. He didn't go home and get a shower. He didn't get new clothes. He just put him in the boat and began to, to head across the sea. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Again, this was not a, this, this was not just a burst of wind that blows up, but it's this storm that happens instantly with a tremendous amount of, 
of power. The Greek word that, that describes that squall, describes a furious tempest is what it is. The boiling water, thunder and lightning, all kinds of stuff that happens. Um, one one uh, guy I heard talk about this said that the Greek word is the same word that's used for earthquake to describe this storm. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's this horribly massive, powerful storm. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Jesus has a pillow in the back of the boat where he can rest his head. And, and um, again, the Greek word that's there, it, it really is this kind of cushiony pillow that allowed him to lay down, to rest his head so that it wasn't banging into the sides of the boat, and that it protected him as he fell asleep, exhausted, but somewhat protected from the storm. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Jesus essentially got up and said, shh, shh, shh. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What a day to be a disciple of Jesus. In uh, 1990, a painting by the Dutch artist Rembrandt was stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. The painting was five feet tall and four feet wide, and it's still not ever been recovered. It's, the painting is the only seascape that Rembrandt ever painted. It depicts this storm on the Sea of Galilee that we just read about. When we think about Rembrandt, when we look back on his life, we think Rembrandt, he was this incredibly successful painter. You know, he, he, had, he had all kinds of accolades. People bought his stuff. It, it was an incredible thing. But Rembrandt's life was filled with storms. When he was 29 years old, he and his wife Saskia were thrilled to give birth to a baby boy. Two months after his birth, their son died. Three years later, Saskia's pregnant again, gives birth to a little baby girl. Three weeks after her birth, their daughter died. Two years later, she's pregnant again. They have another daughter. One month after she's born, she dies. A year later, they have a son, a son named Titus. Uh, He was their only child that lived into adulthood. But a year later, Saskia dies probably of tuberculosis. Though Rembrandt was, was successful, uh, though he came from a pretty wealthy family and had lots of wealth, he always spent more money than he had. And in um, and, and about the middle of his life, uh, in order to keep from going bankrupt, he had to sell all of his stuff. He had to sell his house, he had to sell all of his art, all of the paintings that he had done, and, and move into a very meager dwelling. In 1668, Uh, At 62 years old, Rembrandt watched his son, now 27, die, leaving a baby daughter. A year later, when Rembrandt died, he died a pauper and was buried in an unmarked grave 
with no accolades. Rembrandt knew what it was like to live in the middle of a storm. When you look at this painting, the story comes to life in a fresh way. You can see the power of the storm, the terror of the disciples, and the presence of Jesus. If you look closely, you can see the fishermen using all of their skill to maintain control of the boat in the storm, managing the sails, managing the lines, holding on to the till, holding on for dear life. You see one of the disciples, the one dressed in red down towards the bottom of the painting, right in the center towards the bottom, throwing up over the edge of the boat. You see two of the disciples talking to Jesus and asking for his help. Out of this, out of this event in Jesus' life, I want to share four, four concepts that I think have relevance to us as we begin to look for Jesus in the storm, as we look at how Jesus is working in our life, even in the middle of storms. I know many of you are living in storms right now. And if you're not, you will be in the future. Here, here are the things that, that for me, out of this passage that really come to life. The first is this. Jesus was present in the storm with the disciples. No matter what happens, no matter what goes on in your life, no matter how bad things are, know that Jesus is present with you. The storm was real. The storm was severe. The storm suddenly came upon the disciples. And yet there Jesus was with the disciples in the middle of the storm. Jesus had not abandoned the disciples. He hadn't left them on their own. He was with them in the storm. Um, uh, Subpoint in, in this concept, understand that traveling with Jesus was never meant to be safe. Somehow in our mind, we've, we have heard the lie of Satan saying, when you choose to follow Jesus, everything's going to get better. All of a sudden, you're going to get a promotion at work. Your relationship with your spouse, your kids is going to get better. Um, you're going to have more money in your bank account. All of the conflict that you that you experience in your life, all of that's going to go away if you're really sold out for Jesus. There's one problem with that. It's not true. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you live in a broken world, John 16. In this world, you'll have tribulation. In this world, you'll live in storms. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. I'm there with you in the middle of the storm. Jesus isn't rattled by our storms. When you're going through a crisis, when you're struggling, Jesus isn't rattled by the storms of your life. He's not surprised. He's not overwhelmed. He's not threatened by the things that you experience and the things that are happening to you. This particular storm had professional fishermen fighting for their lives. Out of the 12, at least four were professional fishermen, maybe as many as seven. And so they're doing everything they can to maintain control in the middle of the storm. And they couldn't. Jesus was with them, sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow. What a picture. Here's the thing about this particular event, though. The storm wasn't the issue at all. We look at it and we see the storm. That's not what Jesus saw. The storm wasn't the issue. Their faith was the issue. Were the disciples going to trust 
what they could see? Were the disciples going to trust their own experience and skill? Were the disciples going to trust the strength of the boat? Or were they going to trust Jesus in the storm? It's not a big step to connect those dots in our lives. When we're caught in the middle of the storm, what are we going to trust? Are we going to trust what we can see, what we feel, what we experience at the moment, or are we going to trust Jesus? That's the question. Um, Understand that storms only expose what already exists. When storms come come into our lives, they don't create havoc. They create some danger, but they don't create... um, they, they don't change our relationship with Jesus. They only expose what's already there. For the disciples, they were following Jesus, but they hadn't fully trusted him yet, which is why Jesus said, where's your faith? Don't you get this yet? The storms exposed their lack of faith. Um, if you really know Jesus, if you have a deep relationship with him, if you trust him with your life, you're not going to be shaken when the storm comes. If the economy tanks and all that you've worked for and saved is lost, your faith, the faith that you've cultivated before that time will sustain you or the faith that you didn't cultivate will erode. You'll have to try and ride out that storm on your own power. If you lose your job, your ability to cope with that loss will depend on how deep your faith is before that that ever happens. We all experience storms. COVID COVID may be a storm for you, and it may not be. let, Let me just say as gently but as firmly as I can, that the way that we respond to the COVID pandemic says a lot about our faith. Do we trust ourselves, our ability to maintain all of the stuff that we're designed to do, uh, that we're called to do? Or do we trust Jesus in this time? The storms that we face are never the real issue. Our faith, our relationship with Jesus, that's the thing that matters. Um, Did you notice the timeline as we read through that story? The disciples put out to sea. Jesus goes to sleep. The storm comes crashing down unexpectedly. We don't know this from the account, account, but I have to believe that if you read between the lines in the white space, the disciples did everything that they could to maintain control of the storm. They used all of their skill. To, to move the sails, to do everything that they could, to, to position their weight in such that the boat would stay stable, to, you know, to change their ballast. Although they did everything that they could, but it didn't change anything. They did all that they could before they ever asked Jesus for help. You know, Jesus was able to save them the entire time. All he had to do was to be asked. Jesus was able. He just had to be asked. Jesus able was to save the disciples by just saying, hush, to the storm. You know, if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, he will never force himself on you. 
Jesus will never come in and take over and invade your life without your permission. Jesus does not arbitrarily conquer people. If you think back in history, that was the problem with the, with the Crusades, right? Christians said, oh, we want to conquer these people. We want to bring them to Jesus. And they went out to invade and conquer in the name of Jesus. Jesus doesn't work that way. We have to ask him. We have to invite him to have control of our lives. We have to ask him to build our faith. We have to invite him to to, to uh, rescue us from the storm. What, what kind of power does Jesus have? He has the power to instantly stop a storm. He has the power to turn water into wine. He has the power to heal the blind man, to heal the lame, the power to heal a woman who was sick with a blood disease for 12 years. Jesus had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus had the power to, to cast out demons into a herd of pigs, 2,000 strong, and send them off the cliff. That's what he was on his way to do the very next day as they crossed the, the Sea of Galilee. The disciples did all they could to fight the storm, but it wasn't until they woke Jesus and asked for his help that the storm was stopped. Some of us here today, I know, are living in the middle of storms. I've said that. And let me encourage you to cry out to Jesus, to wake him, you know, to come to him and say, Jesus, I need your help to get through this and trust that he will act and walk us through this time. Um, some, somebody today needs to recognize that they've been trying to live as a good Christian for a lot of years, but they've never really They've never really developed that relationship with Jesus. And they need to go to him and say, Jesus, come in and take control of my life. I give you control. Fill me up with you so that I can be your disciple. And today's the day to do that. Today's the day to do that. You know, the disciples were more shaken by the power of Jesus than by the power of the storm. I, I think it's so interesting in that passage that we read from Mark 4 that it's after Jesus has calmed the sea, it says the disciples were terrified. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in the midst of this incredible storm? Jesus getting up and saying, peace, be still, and everything stopping. The disciples, wet in their clothes, had to be shaken in their boots at the power of Jesus. Jesus had absolute power. It terrified his disciples. John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the one who created the world. He, he was the word that God spoke that allowed everything to be created. Jesus is the one who was conceived miraculously. Jesus is the one who healed, who cast out demons, who raised the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead after dying for us in our place. Jesus conquered death. The disciples saw firsthand how powerful Jesus was. They said, even the wind and the wave obey him. 
You know, sin has the power to destroy lives. Jesus' power is greater. Stupid decisions have the power to create major storms in our lives. Jesus' power is greater. Physical danger, living in a broken world, can create devastating storms. Jesus' power is greater. So the question is, where are you today? Are you trying to deal with the storms that you experience on your own power? Are you paralyzed by the storm and throwing up over the side? Are you calling out to Jesus and asking for help? Are you trusting Jesus with your life? If you look closely again at Rembrandt's painting, you'll notice one thing. There are 14 people in the boat. One of them is really hard to see because he's curled up in a ball in the bottom of the boat, afraid. Twelve disciples, Jesus, and one other person dressed in blue, holding onto a rope and his hat. That person is Rembrandt himself. If you look at a self-portrait that Rembrandt painted within about a year of when he painted this, this the, the similarity is striking. In the painting, Rembrandt places himself in the very center of the frame. It's a, it's a powerful statement, I think, of him being in the storm, dependent on Jesus for help. But it's also interesting to me that he's looking out at the viewer, almost asking, do you trust Jesus in the storm? It's easy to put ourselves into that picture. I, I, I wonder how different the painting may have been if Rembrandt would have painted it, painted what happened 10 minutes later. The sky cleared. The sea calm. The disciples soaked to their skin and terrified, but worshiping Jesus. I think in that painting, Jesus would be in the center of the canvas, everything pointing towards him. We're going to finish today's message with a song. It's not a song that we've ever sung before, so I want you to just stay seated to absorb the words as Jamie sings. Let those words wash over you. Let them challenge you. Let them encourage you. Let them encourage you to find Jesus in the storm. And let them become, let those words become your prayer. When you know the song well enough, feel free to sing along.
it together. Let faith rise up, oh heart, believe. Let faith rise up in me.